very good morning and welcome to the Sharjah Talks Business Podcast brought to you by University of Sharjah. This is Professor Dima Jamali and today I'm honored to have with me an amazing guest, a visionary influential Arab business leader who has paved his way to global recognition due to his thought leadership. We will discuss with him key trends facing the world of business, the sustainability sphere, and how business can be a powerful force for good in our world. Uh, we're honored to have you with us, Mr. Patrick Shalhoub. Um, just a few words about Patrick. Um, he, the Chalhoub Group today is considered to be the ambassador of luxury lifestyle in the Middle East. Patrick, building on the legacy of his father, developed the retail network of the group from a few stores in 2000 to over 600 stores today, and a workforce of over 12,000 employees in the region, operating in 14 countries. For nearly 30 years, Patrick has been involved in the development of the business on the strategy level in terms of digital transformation and, of course, in terms of sustainability. He's leading the sustainability strategy, focusing on people, partners, planet, and community. Patrick is also a board member of the UN Global Compact in New York. He has been appointed in 2018 by the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, which is a great honor and we will talk more about it today and he's been involved in few associations such as the French Business Council and uh, he has earned an award at the age of 42 which is the Medal of Chevalier de l'Ordre National de Mérite in France. So an inspirational leader by all means. Thank you so much for being our guest today and I want to start our Charter Talks business podcast this morning by talking about the key trends shaping the world of business from now until 2030. Uh, I want to ask you, Mr. Patrick, what are these key trends in your opinion? And what are the core attributes of future-proof leadership? So good morning, Professor Dima. It's a pleasure to be with you at the university. It's a pleasure to be part of this podcast. And uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, I mean, today, speaking about 2030 or 2000, uh, 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 in 10 years' time or 7 years' time, is such a long period and such a short period at the same time. There is this acceleration which is happening into the whole world, and we are seeing increasing acceleration and uh, at the same time, a lot of challenges, a lot of opportunities. And what we could forecast for 50 years, now it's difficult to forecast it for the next uh, uh, six or seven years ahead. But definitely, it's important to have a plan to see where we are heading, how we are heading, and uh, then to put ourselves into the situation of what role we want to play, what our organization will evolve. And most important than this, then, remain extremely agile and adaptable with all the different crises or opportunities which could arise. So really maintaining this, uh, this agility, which is the key word into the future, to be able to uh, adjust according to the situation and how it, it go. So how the world will be in 2030, who knows? But at the same time, how the world is evolving, probably 
and hopefully, because I'm an eternal optimist, it's evolving to be a better world, a world which is more sustainable. There is a real effort today, a conscious effort from the people and from the leaders that we need to take care of our planet, we need to take care of our environment, we need to take care of ourselves. So it's not only a function to create a more economical development, but also to be make to make sure that we create quality around us and they contribute to this to this quality the way we are going. I see definitely a world where the human being would uh, spend more qualitative time and uh, I'm not at all a person who thinks that we would be replaced by machine, but I, uh, I hope that we will be able to control those machine and those digital world in order to have a better input into our life and a better view into, into our life. How the world will evolve? I would more restrict myself to our part of the world, which I know better. And I think in our part of the world, there is a fantastic economical development, diversification of the economy, value given to the people, education, and you are at the heart of this education and development of the human being in order to be able to do it. So how, as a leader, to answer your question, can we tackle this, um, this situation? And for me, it goes back to the human uh, element into it. It goes back to making sure that we have clear purpose which could drive us and drive our team around us. A clear purpose which we would, uh, would develop. Ours in our group is to be able to inspire, exhilarate, delight our customers everywhere and anywhere. But not only having this clear purpose, but having very strong values and the DNA into an organization, which are the fundamentals of any activity. Like when you build a building, you need to put a very strong foundation. And those values are so important in order to be able to help us, guiding us through this agility I was speaking about. For us, the values is about uh, uh, making sure that we have uh, uh, excellence in what we do, uh, quality work in what we do and what we, uh, we offer respect and trust, which is extremely important, uh, entrepreneurship, spirit and mindset, which is increasingly important to foster creativity, to foster innovation, which again will be something extremely important for the future, because we absolutely need to bring value on the table in whatever activity we do, and we need to foster this kind of uh, uh, mindset, of entrepreneurial mindset within any organization, if we want not only to stay in our comfort zone, but to be at the forefront of everything which we are doing. And then it's to have and to build a strong team of people who believe in what they do, who have the motivation, passion and who could give them uh, trust and empower them in order that uh, we can enable them to fly and to foster and to to uh, become better and making us better, but also collaborate uh, among themselves. Uh, I, I'm a true believer, not anymore into this uh, system, which are very pyramid-driven, verticalized, horizontalized. I'm a believer much more of an ecosystem, a little bit like the planets, a little bit like the human body, where every cell, which means every team members, have a role to play and more important or less important and interconnect with each other in order to foster it. So 
a good leader today for me for the future, we have to reverse the pyramid. He should, should be sitting at the bottom of the pyramid into this reverse pyramid where he is the servant leader, not only guiding and assessing his team, but also supporting them and being there to serve them and not uh, only them servicing the, the, the good cause. So quite a lot. Quite a bit that is packed here, but beautiful and very rich. And I take my takeaways, you lead a very successful business and a group commercially, but you say there is more to business than the commercial side. There is like how a business can add value, how a business can be have a sense of purpose and lead with impact, you know, add value to society, have an impact on its uh, society, on quality of life, and nurture talent from within. Because, you know, this is a key insight. We thrive through talent. The business thrives through talent. And I'm going to come back to this uh, throughout, but I'd like to also turn to something you, you mentioned, which is the sustainability part. And you're a strong believer and advocate of sustainability. You're passionate about sustainability. And your award-winning sustainability report, you, the opening statement is that sustainability is a definition of mindset and action. And my question to you, how do you demonstrate this? Why you consider this to be a key trend of the future? And is sustainability going to be increasingly important for businesses in our region? Uh, as we look ahead. You know, Professor Dima, as a family business, uh, the most important element in the family business, if we want to remain a strong family business, is sustainability. What we are trying to do is to build something for our future generation, our children, grandchildren, our teams and their, their families, etc. But how can we build a sustainable business? if we are not living in the sustainable environment, if we are living in an environment. So for us, it's not only a belief that it's a trend and we have to get attached to this trend. It is really part of whom we are. We are really a group, a family business who believe into creating a sustainable business for the future for both the family and the larger team members, and therefore totally believe that we have to be able to contribute to create a sustainable environment. So yes, it is our responsibility as leaders today to promote this and believe the sustainability. For too long time, and uh, ourselves, our parents, past generation haven't enough taken care of what is so important for us. There is only one planet, eh? as it is said. There is no plan B of a planet. Perhaps in millions of years we will discover a plan B. But today we have one planet, plan A. So let us make sure that we take care of it. And the other part of it is not only a responsibility of the leaders, it's our responsibility to promote it and to take the action to do it. But for me, and today we have about 14,000 uh, team members, it is the responsibility of each one of them, of each one of the businesses. It has to be part of how they do the business and how they, they promote it. So for us, it would start by awareness, making sure that people are extremely aware believe in it and do the right thing in order to, to do it. Of course, education, because awareness, but you also need to, to uh, influence and to train the, the, the people to say what's right, what's wrong, what could be done and how it could be done in the different aspects, etc. Measurement, 
making sure that we measure what we do, because what we cannot measure, we cannot improve. So if we could measure and give the tools of measurement to our teams and to our members, then we can improve it. But also be this force of good. So influence our supplier, our partners, our clients in order to themselves also engage. So be this ambassador for sustainability. So execute it and start by ourselves, but making sure also that we spread it around us and we put all the necessary influence for others also to believe in it. Because finally, as I said, it it's the responsibility of each uh, part of this uh, world, the seven, the 10 billion people who are on, on Earth. This is beautiful because what you're saying is that sustainability is makes sense. It's good for business, but it's also, you know, good for the environment. And these two are complementary. You know, a business cannot thrive if the environment and society around it are not thriving. So mutually reinforcing. But what you shared is a concrete example of a business that is serving as a force for social good. And I think this is what we want to see more and more uh, into the future. And my question here to you, Ms. Patrick, how much has this philosophy and the sustainability vision and mission has been influenced by your role as a global board member of the United Nations Global Compact. And I know you've been appointed by Secretary General Antonio Guterres in 2018 to this role. Tell us a little bit about it, how much that has influenced you um, and influenced your group strategy, particularly on sustainability. Yeah, but I would say if I have been uh, appointed or selected to be part of the board of the UN Global Compact, it's probably that the group has been extremely active and engaged into it. So probably it has been a result of all the work which we have been doing. But you are right. The, when I have been more involved with the, the board of the UN Global Compact, both locally, where we have uh, initiated and supported the creation of the local chapter and uh, uh, on a global level uh, uh, with the Secretary General and the board, it has given us a lot of different uh, uh, perspectives. As you, as you know, the UN Global Compact has 10 principles, basically not only about environment, but environment is part of it, but also about labor, about human rights, about anti-corruption, which is very about it, and more and more engaged also into the 17 sustainable goals of the, of the UN. And as a board today, what we are doing is to trying to support a team who is based in New York and into the different region and all the local chapters in order to be able to develop all and uh, uh, enroll more and more company to do business. And what we are trying to do is very easy. We want people to do business responsibly. So, uh, of course, it influences, uh, if I, I am trying to promote to do business responsibly for others, I have to start to do business responsibly for ourselves. And it's true that we are focusing quite a lot on environment and on uh, this part of the business, but also very actively involved in everything which is social, human rights, uh, both us and uh, labor and uh, the, the, the diversity, inclusion, uh, governance having the right governance in order to be able to do it and to avoid any corruption, ethics, etc., which are being there. So for me, where it has been a real eye-opener is to have to take care of all 
the aspects which are around it and really be responsible into the way we, we, are, uh, we are doing business. And as a board of the UN Global Compact, we are also responsible to think on long term. 2030, 2035, 2030. I have been blessed to be part of this committee about the future of work into the business. This notion of flexible hour, uh, uh, offshoring uh, uh, workforce, uh, flexibility into the workforce and having uh, people who are not full-time employee and how we will deal with it. So a lot of, uh, of uh, thought which are being done, but also some of them uh, I'm trying to start by executing it and applying it internally within our group so it would give us more the feeling of what's happening. Beautiful. And my follow-up question here, do you think from your practice, sustainability can be a competitive edge for your business? And you emphasize all these different aspects, human rights, labor rights, environment, anti-corruption. Does it give you a competitive edge? Because many businesses and leaders look at it as a potential cost, you know? It's gonna cost more. It's gonna be more uh, cumbersome. So I want to like just get your perspective on this point specifically. I mean, once again, what you are saying is absolutely true. First, a lot of people use it as a marketing tool in order to promote it. I'm not at all a believer of it. I think we have to say what we do and do what we say. So let us start by doing it and then if necessary, promote it. And does it give us a competitive edge? A huge competitive edge. But I will start the competitive edge uh, internally. It helps our teams to really believe in it. I was speaking about those uh, purpose, uh, uh, purpose-driven life purpose. So the teams feel that we are driven also by a sense of giving back to the community, of uh, a sense of fairness, a sense of Uh, equality into the treatment, a sense of uh, being a company where things are done into what could be assessed the right thing and a responsible things in doing it. So for our teams, it is a great, great motivator. And if it's motivating, they become more productive. If they are more productive, then they will uh, somehow be able to help us reduce the cost which it could uh, uh, encompass because they are more productive. It helps us to attract talent uh, because when you get the reputation, but based on reality, hopefully, and not based on a, on a lot of talk and a let, uh, little doing, then people start to say, this is a company for which I would love to work. And if we can attract talented people and make sure that they are motivated in their work, it's really uh, definitely an edge. And finally, which is not still very strongly felt into our part of the world, but more about the use, it helps us towards our customers because they feel that they are dealing and with companies who have strong belief in things which are bringing back to the community. This aspect is not very developed yet here, but we see it more and more, and definitely it's good to have. So yes, It has a cost. And yes, we can absolutely recover the cost and more by this better productivity, attraction of, uh, of uh, other talent, and really living in a, where you, you wake up in the morning and you can stand by the mirror and to say, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the right things in my life. Amazing. And this is like the business case for sustainability. You talked about it, like sustainability can give a business a competitive edge, differentiation, and 
there is a business case, you know, it, it uh, translates into better employee motivation, a sense of purpose and, uh, you know, profitability on the long term. But it has to be done right and with, you know, passion and conviction, I believe. And it might so, be an investment and then you have to make the investment. So this is a cost. But don't consider it as a cost. Consider it as an investment and a certain return of investment, which can take less time or better time, but we will have and we are having our return on investment. It's amazing to have a leader like demonstrating this in action and uh, to have a business, you know, that uh, to showcase as a role model. Thank you so much. This was very, very inspirational. I want to turn to another point, which is equally important that you touched upon, which is entrepreneurship and innovation. You know, you are a leader in sustainability, but also a business that works very diligently on nurturing entrepreneurship and innovation, both within your business and within the community, through the Youth Academy, the Capital Club, Endeavor. Can you tell us a little bit more about, uh, you know, what you're doing to accelerate entrepreneurship innovation? And here I will start by a little bit uh, the reasons why and then what we are doing. And the reason why is that We are leading a group which has developed quite substantially, thanks God, and thanks to the great work given by the team. But at the same time, I have had the feeling with years that the bigger the group was becoming, the more complexity, the more rules, the more regulation, the more processes we had to put in place, which kills initiative, which kills entrepreneurship. Then we, are, we become this heavy machine where it is less and less a pleasure to work. It's less and less possible to innovate, to create, and to be uh, to take a certain initiative. People want to follow by the book and the process and are not uh, able to uh, initiate themselves and to innovate into doing it. So. This is how it started by this evolution and say, be, be, uh, saying, are we becoming too big and a little bit a dinosaur? What should we do to shake it up and to move it? And then, and it's part of our value, the entrepreneurship spirit, which was started to lose. We said, so what should we do? How can we change this mindset and spirit? Obviously, in terms of organization, we made a lot of things. And what was more important than organization is to change the mindset and to make sure that our teams understand, yes, you are empowered. Yes, you can do uh, 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 and initiate things. Yes, you are able to make certain mistakes and learn from those mistakes and not trying to be so perfect that you cannot make a, a, a mistake, but don't initiate anything in order to do it. And yes, we encourage it and move it. So this is the aim and how it started. And what have we done? And what have we do? And probably it has helped develop it into it. So first we created um, an incubator, an incubator and an accelerator. We called it the greenhouse. We offered the opportunity of, of our employees if they have a good idea and they wanted to see if it could become a business by itself and develop it, they could present their idea. And we had a small committee who would not only assess it, but help them to make it happen and to clarify the idea. And then if accepted, we give them a certain period of time, few months in which they could start executing and building a business plan. We pay them their salary, 
and but they don't have to work where they are working but they're uh, we put on hold their job for three months in order to fit and if they go further then we will invest more money they stop uh, the, their activity and then they start the startup journey itself but this is it started a fit but more important than to enroll few of our team members to do it is the mindset it has given to all our members yes we can do it yes if we have uh, the ability to do it we could move it at the same time, we have developed from this incubator a much bigger incubator where we have opened it to retail tech. A lot of people speak about uh, fintech, very little on retail tech. Now it's a little bit more developed. So in order to try to attract companies who are in retail tech and to be an accelerator for them or invite them to the region. We, we, we uh, created a startup studio. If outside people wants to come with an idea, we could help them and support them and put in place a business manager who could be partner with them and develop it with them in order to do it. We put a beauty lab because we are in beauty and fashion business for, comp- for startups who want to, defer- to, to develop ideas around the beauty and the fashion lab exactly how to do it. So we created a small little ecosystem of incubation and acceleration and most important this mindset which is happening now on the other hand with some of my peers and friends we felt that there has been a lot of effort which is being done to support startup by the government by companies like ours etc and it's great but we felt that there was a gap and this gap is at the stage where a startup is a little bit more meaningful and the startup needs a different support in order to scale up. And this is where we have found up this organization called Endeavor, which we were speaking about. And with Endeavor, we created a local chapter, I think nine, 10 years ago in, uh, in the Emirates and uh, uh, throughout the Gulf, in order to make sure that we could enroll those startups, assess their uh, uh, stage of development and if they are ready to, to move it up. And we have a selection panel, local selection panel, international selection panel, etc. And then help them, support them. And usually the support they need is they need often advice. So we put them often a free of charge advisory board. They need education. We support them in their drive of education because often they need more education if we want to run it uh, at a different scale, including with big universities all over, uh, over the world, perhaps one day with the uh, University of Sharjah. Uh, they need finance, so we help them to find the finance. All this free of charge. Huh? We are not taking, uh, on the contrary, we contribute to be able to, to support them. And they need networking, and we put them in place networking. And it started slow. But I have to recognize now, nine, nine or ten years after, we have difficulty, and, uh, and the team who is on the ground uh, do a fantastic job, but we have difficulty to uh, absorb all the different ideas and be able to assess them, and we have a waiting list. And we have, of course, few companies set up who didn't make it, but we have very good example, and I will name it, of companies who have reached billion dollar valuation, billions of dollar valuation, starting by a startup because we help them to scale up. So fantastic and so exciting. Eh? And at the same time, it gives you a lot of fresh idea. I mean, a different idea than what you do. This is a really very, very amazing. And especially that you're working in parallel on nurturing entrepreneurship, giving opportunity for entrepreneurs within your business to Uh, come up with ideas, to incubate their ideas, to experiment with the world of entrepreneurship, but also working in parallel 
on you know major incubation uh, and with endeavor you know to open it up for you know entrepreneurs from across the UAE this is really i mean very very interesting very impactful inspiring and really having enjoying the opportunity to talk to you about this because i don't think many people know uh, what shall hope group is doing neither in the area of sustainability nor in the sphere of innovation yeah, but it's less important that others know it's more important is really to do the right thing and i don't want to take the credit because even for endeavor we have a fantastic team on the field who is doing the job so are more here as a board to support them to encourage them to guide them uh, but uh, the, it's fantastic team I've interacted with some of the members of the, the team, of your team. I've had the, the opportunity and I'm always impressed with the dedication, the commitment, the passion. So it's exactly what you're saying. It's values that have trickled in and they're, you know, spread and shared by every team member. And this is what gives the special spirit and the impact, you know, uh, in everything you do. So thank you so, so much. And turning to my next question is about... Uh, The, the green uh, business transformation uh, in the recent UN General Assembly, all the bold voices were geared to how can we care more for climate and we need more climate action, adaptation, we need green business transformation. So my question to you, uh, do you see like concrete efforts in this direction? What are the challenges? Are we really moving towards Uh, net zero by 2050 and can business contribute more? So to answer your first question, uh, even if efforts are being made, we will never reach zero uh, by 2050, net zero to by 2050, if we don't do much more and accelerate what we have doing. And again, it's our responsibility of all and we really need to put it in action. It's a very very serious matter. It's a serious matter and we know all the disasters which are happening and will happen increasingly if we do not contribute to reverse the trend. And we can do it. We have seen it with the ozone layer of uh, on the uh, universe, how it has been rebuilt, etc. So yes, we can do it. But it starts by making sure that we're really committed to it. It's true that uh, in the Middle East, We were late to engage, like often, and also we were probably were less responsible for all what has happened for the past few, many years. But now there is a real, extremely serious work in order to be able to develop it. We have seen COP27 in Egypt, we will see COP28, which will be happening in, uh, in the Emirates in uh, this year in order to be able to do, do it. So now we see from uh, the leaders a real move in order to do it, and they all signed this uh, pledge that uh, to be net zero by 2050. But also we have individual responsibility and business responsibility to do it. So we signed the pledge too. We signed the pledge with a little bit more aggressiveness, but uh, uh, where we said we want to be net zero by 2040. Obviously, it's directional, but why we signed it, it's not to make it a little bit better than others will be doing it. I hope we will be able to achieve it. It's just to give this uh, um, uh, message of urgency. So it's not only for tomorrow and after tomorrow. It has to start today and now in order to do it. 
And we started really to take now actions and put the team in place in order to take action. If we really mean it and we want to be net zero by 2040, what should we do? And it's not enough today uh, to say I am going to replace what I am uh, using uh, by, by planting trees all over, etc. We really need to take action. And um, as I said it earlier for the other subject, taking action, meaning that we could also put in place a system of measuring what we are doing, the effect of what we are doing, and taking the, the, the rectification we're doing. So we assessed where we are. And from the assessment, we have started building a plan in order to be able to influence. And there is this three scope, scope one, scope two, and scope three. Scope one and scope two is things which you control. And scope three are things which you control, you don't control, but indirectly influence in order to do it, like uh, an airplane or a ship which is shipping your goods, or like you traveling, or, or uh, uh, your suppliers and the effect which you're doing are all in scope three. So an organization, and it's uh, true for a lot of organizations like ours, our scope one and scope two are only responsible of less than 10% of our emission. Scope three, which is the others with whom we deal, is 90%. But obviously, if we don't influence them, they will have exactly the same situation in order to do it. But the concrete action are scope one and scope two. And really here we are taking a very concrete action in order to make sure that we control water usage within our premises, that we use uh, uh, electrical vehicles. Uh, uh, I mean, it's planned into the making. So we, all our vehicles are not yet electricals, but it is really the plan where we will do it, that we will use solar panels where we can do it. In certain countries, we are still not able to use it. and. Uh, gradually replaced by electricity, that there is a real waste management which started very, very much in use. And again, awareness campaign, especially and, and impact on the scope three, where there will be a longer term effort, but a serious effort to be done. So yes, very engaged into doing it, but I have to recognize that we are still into the infancy of building the, uh, the very strict plan on how in 2040, we will be in a zero. And from your perspective, other key major, like large businesses in the UAE are also trying to do more in terms of green business transformation? The answer is yes, thanks God. Today, we have some, uh, even oil and gas companies, oil and gas companies who are really taking extremely, we have uh, uh, electricity companies who are really taking uh, measures, putting team in place, uh, taking the tools in order to do it. So big or small. Obviously, the smaller businesses are at the same time more engaged because it's less uh, difficult for them, they can manage it, but, or, but at the same time, it's less their priority. But, and we have to help them and support them into doing it. And this is the whole framework. But I have seen, I would say this past two years, a, a, a fabulous transformation, really, which gives me hope. But again, we are far of getting the result. But at least the movement has started and we really now need to accelerate it and to move it ahead. And the movement, as I said, it's important that our leaders push it, but it's our responsibility to execute it and not count on the others to do it. I love the leadership by example across everything you do. And uh, this brings me to my uh, question about slow fashion. I mean, we're... Uh, 
realizing that there is a global movement in the fashion industry shifting gears towards slow fashion. Can you tell us a little bit about slow fashion and how is it related to the UN 2030 agenda? Basically, each type of commodity has been responsible in a way or in another of uh, the, the challenges which we are facing today about the environment, about the climate change, etc. And fashion have been one of those uh, uh, activities which are even more responsible than many others into uh, doing it. So it's important that we take conscious of it. And again, not only in terms of retail distribution, we move it, but also we go back to the source and see how we could influence it. So there is different aspects in order to do it. One, to create fashion, which is a more sustainable than with more sustainable materials in order to do it. Obviously, with some inconvenience about different kind of quality, different kind of feeling, different kind of flexibility. But uh, I would say we as a group are encouraging this drive for also sustainable fashion, be it within some of the brands which we work or of some of the brands who have developed it as itself and are successful and take it as a, as a... It's a very small portion of the fashion business, but it's definitely developing and I see a huge development of it. But then things which are easier and much more uh, immediate to give is how are we going to engage into, uh, I would say, uh, uh, resell, reselling products which we are not using in, and buying second hand, buying second love, we call it as, uh, in, in our terminology, and making sure that it, uh, it could be reused, reselled, uh, uh, re- Upcycled, uh, recycled. Uh, recycled, yeah. whatever we could, uh, we could into doing it. So as a group, we have also engaged still into this, uh, uh, into its infancy in several different initiatives, creating a site and a store, which is in Lebanon, by, uh, with, really? by the way, uh, with, with some of our uh, partners in order to, uh, to uh, create a platform for, uh, um, for doing it. We have into some of our successful stores created a corner for, I would say, this second love, which is uh, uh, products which we could uh, resell or reuse in order to be able to do it, or about vintage, what we call vintage, but it's exactly the same thing. So being part of this movement and making sure that we offer this opportunity with our customers. The results we are having are certainly interesting. And obviously, consumers, when they see it and they, when they feel it, apart the fact they say, I can get a, a product at a much cheaper price because it's a reuse, etc., are more and more engaged. Why not? And uh, I love it. And it makes good for the planet. And it is at much more affordable price. So there is a movement which is there and which will, will accelerate. But we have... I mean, to work in all the different, ex uh, 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 make all the necessary efforts in order to make it uh, happen. And it's true, I mean, uh, we are blessed to deal with the luxury because luxury, people forget it, are not only about the fashion it represents, about the inspiration it gives, but uh, 
uh, true luxury is a lot of quality. And quality is more a slow fashion than high-end, uh, high-street uh, products, which are uh, perhaps of a different quality, but not resistant. And you need to, and this is, we call it uh, fast fashion, because you need to change it quite a lot. So within our type of goods into the luxury, we are blessed. We have, I would say, products which are very qualitative and which are closer to the slow fashion than to the fast fashion. Beautiful. So really, slow fashion is very related to sustainability. Sustainability has been an important theme of our podcast today, I think, because we're both very passionate about sustainability, strong believers, and you have managed to create really a role model, a, a group that is committed, that is leading by example, that is in acting on different fronts in relation to innovation and sustainability, which makes us really, really proud. I want to finish this episode today by asking you to give just a piece of advice to future leaders of tomorrow. We have a lot of student listeners on this podcast from the university, from outside, young generation, all of them looking you know, into the future, their careers, how to do be successful. And being a very successful business leader yourself, like if you look back at your journey, what are what are the ingredients for success? Obviously, it depends of each of us, uh, and it's uh, difficult to just generalize it. But if I go from my beliefs and the advice I give to my own family and to my own teams, for me, uh, an essential ingredient is believe in yourself. Each one of us is different. Each one of us could uh, be inspired by a lot of things, but uh, it has to begin with ourselves. So really believing in ourselves is extremely important if we want to succeed. Believing in ourselves, but remaining at the same time humble. Because sometimes when you believe in yourself and you succeed, and hopefully you want it to succeed, then people could become extremely arrogant and unbearable. So it's important for me as an advice and as a, a guidance to say, yes, believe in yourself, and remain humble, remain human, uh, uh, remain generous with the other. Give back to the community because finally you are taking from the community and this communication. So be, be part of this uh, uh, research of giving back the good on whatever you have been able to collect it. And another part of the piece of advice which I learned from my, 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 my late father is patience and persistence. And it's true that today, especially with the young generation, and rightly so, uh, but they uh, would like things to go faster. And we are in a world, as we started, who is getting faster and faster and faster and faster. Sometimes we need little patience and continue persistent and, uh, and be persistent and not changing course all the time in order to succeed. Not to stay in the comfort zone, on the contrary, but at the same time, Patience and persistence would be a good advice I would uh, I would recommend. Amazing, really. Thank you. This was a very rich episode, very inspirational. And I think, uh, you know, having the sustainability theme uh, across and one of your key advice for our future leaders is to think about giving back. Nothing can give more pleasure in life for me at this point point in my career than the opportunity to give back and to contribute. And I think this is something that we need to nurture more and more in our future leaders. 
Uh, I want to finish this podcast uh, by thanking you profusely. This was extremely interesting for me and for our audience. I'll tell our audience to stay tuned for our next podcast that is going to discuss the latest trends in business, in academia, and entrepreneurship. One more time, thank you. Pleasure having you. Immense thanks. And thanks to you. It's always very inspiring to discuss with you, and you are a real inspiration as well. Thank Thank you you so much.